Well, I want to give a shout out to uh, Mike, who does a great work with our interns. There we go. If you're considering of uh, giving a year to study in ministry, I would encourage you to actually uh, connect with Mike. Or maybe you, uh, you know a teen who's going into a gap year, they're graduating, don't know really what to do. Um, I would have to say that our discipleship program prepares them post-secondary education. They do take uh, some time in uh, some studies through Prov right now. Uh, it helps them, helps them to write papers, helps them to get prepared to understand and to transfer into uh, other, <laughs> what we'd probably call the, the real world. So, um, yeah, talk to Mike, contact the office, go online, or even talk to one of the four that uh, presented themselves today in our commissioning. And I'm sure that it would give you an insight. And it's just a great way to uh, prepare in your spiritual life for the real world. And with that transition, I've got to ask you a question. How would you describe Jesus to somebody who knew nothing about him? What kind of words would you use? What pictures would you paint? What would you emphasize about Jesus? And as you look at the things that he does, you know, and we've said it before, it's actually impossible to be neutral when we look at Jesus. And yet, we see a variety of responses to Jesus in the culture. C.S. Lewis wrote some of the most powerful words in his book, Mere Christianity. And he tells us that we have to make a choice when it comes to Jesus. Think about it. He wrote this. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish things that people often say about him, Jesus Christ. Here's what people say. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Well, that's one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So let me ask you this question. How have you been responding to Jesus this week? Now, we're walking through the book of Mark. And uh, obviously, we're not very far into it. We've already found out that the earthly ministry of Jesus is surrounded by controversy. Literally every step he takes. And it seems that everything that Jesus did made the religious leaders of his time very angry Every word, every work was placed under the microscope with judgmental attitude. And we have to remember that these guys are mad because Jesus forgave a man's sins. In chapter 2, he ate a meal with sinners. He refused to honor the rituals. He allowed his disciples to pick and eat grain on the Sabbath. And he proved that he was Lord of the Sabbath. And he just refused to play ball by their rules, and they despised him for it. 
And so today we find ourselves in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and you could probably follow along, well, you can follow along in Mark chapter 3. And this visit to the synagogue probably occurred on the same day that Jesus and the disciples were passing through the fields. That passage is sort of like a continuation of the same controversy that was addressed by Dr. Martini last week here. Now the Pharisees have followed Jesus into the synagogue. They're looking for a way to trap him. They want to discredit him. They actually want to destroy him. And they want to destroy his ministry because he's gaining in such popularity. And so as we study this text, I want to draw your attention to three things. Three things that stand out to me. And as I looked at this passage, I walked away with the idea that we see three different types of hearts on display. We see the heart of the Pharisees. We see the heart of the needy. And we see the heart of Jesus. And as we move through these verses today, I want us to examine our own heart as well. So maybe it's not just three types, but actually four. You know, as we read through Mark, we see that it's very easy to see that the Pharisees had a strategy to try to take down Jesus. We already noticed that he started stalking, they started stalking the disciples. They were criticizing Jesus for his behavior. They were condemning his values. Because for the Pharisees, doing the right, uh, doing things right was more important than doing the right things. The rules or traditions about what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath mattered more to them than being led by the Holy Spirit and being led by Scripture itself. They conspired to destroy Jesus. I like what Luke says in chapter 6. He says that they were furious. Jesus had flouted their, their laws. He overruled their authority. He actually went so far as to expose their hatred before the entire crowd in the synagogue. They're so jealous of Jesus' popularity, of his miracles, and the authority in his teaching and actions that they missed who he was. And he's the very Messiah from whom they've actually been waiting for. Now we pick it up in Mark chapter 3, verse 1. And we see that Jesus is in the synagogue and there's a man with a shriveled hand. Some people believe that this man was actually placed in the congregation by the Pharisees in an effort to trap Jesus. And I feel that this view is in line with the flow of the text, the The most likely scenario is that they found this man. They said something probably along the lines of this. It's like, so we hear you injured your hand. Um, You know, sure looks painful. How about you come to the synagogue with us? You know, that fellow Jesus, he's going to be there today. And, you know, we hear he can heal. Maybe he can heal you. And if you come with us, there's a good chance that he'll heal your hand. Wouldn't you like that? Come on, let's go, come. And so either they had planned to plant this man in the synagogue, or they actually spotted him in the crowd. Either way, they're watching Jesus to see what he would do. They want to find evidence against him as a lawbreaker, and they're looking for any excuse to put an end to his ministry and even his life. Of course, Jesus is no dummy. He knows what's what's up, and he sees the man standing there And Jesus takes the initiative and he asks the question, he says, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? 
The Pharisees actually think that this will be a moral quandary for Jesus. You know, Woody, on the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, would you heal this man? And God instituted the Sabbath in Israel to give people a day of rest in which they could focus on him. However, the religious leaders at the time had too much time on their hands. They started making more and more rules about what con- con- uh, constituted work right up to the most minute detail. And any breaking of these man-made rules registered you as unclean, as a sinner. And so you can actually see how crazy their legalism is. And so Jesus is basically telling these leaders, he's saying, hey, you guys have it completely wrong. You have such a legalistic view of the Sabbath as something uh, that would be an act of God honoring is, you know, is really God honoring good isn't inside your definition of what is legal on the Sabbath. You guys have messed it up. I mean, when you, you think about this, if the Sabbath was made for men, then what could be more honoring on the Sabbath than to heal, especially to heal the hand of this man? If the Sabbath is made for worship of God, what could be more honoring to the Creator than to actually restore His creation? Because what's the Sabbath about? I think when we take the time and we begin to study Sabbath and we begin to study rest, the Sabbath is about God reaching into our weakness and our limits. I love this definition. It's about God reaching into our weakness and into our limits and giving us a day of rest. And God's zeal for his own glory and calling us to worship him. You see that interaction, you see that that relationship, you see that personal encounter. And on the Sabbath, the humanness of people and the glory of God come together in rest and in worship. Now I know Sunday is not the Sabbath, the Sabbath is Saturday, but we treat Sunday as a Sabbath. It should be a day of rest in our culture, right? It should be a time where we come together to honor God It should be. It's a time where we need that interaction. It's a time where we need to experience God in worship and in prayer. It's a time where we need to experience each other. Even afterwards when we have our barbecue and our time to eat, you can eat out in the the atrium. You can bring your food back here if it's still raining. It's a great way to meet new people. Let the kids run wild. We don't really care. But it's a time. And you know, there's no better way to honor the Sabbath than what Jesus is doing. And yet the legalism of the Pharisees would put this act of good outside of what their definition of right is for the Sabbath. And Jesus would say, your view of the Sabbath harms and kills instead of honoring God. Now, The problem with these men and with people like them today is that they could care less of the needs of the poor. They could care less of the needs of this injured man. Really, all these guys cared about was about their rules and their ways, and Jesus knows that problem. Mark tells us that they suffered from a hardness of heart, the hard hearts of the Pharisees. These men have been confronted with truth so many times, but they continually rejected 
the truth, and as a result, their hearts became hard. You need to think about that. In a world that says, I have my own truth, you do you, I do me, well, there is no absolute truth. How are our hearts doing? And when we're confronted by truth, what happens there? See, the word for hardness is called porosis. And, 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 and it came to be used of something kind of like, and it's a gross definition, but it, it, it will give you a great word picture, covered with a callus. How many of you have calluses? Don't we hate winter because our feet get filled with calluses? And then you love the summertime because you can put on your sandals or you can go barefoot and you can wear the calluses away. Or you have one of those little stones, right? How many have a stone in the shower at the bathtub and you got to give yourself your own pedicure? Am I the only one? Okay, I guess so. Oh, you guys pay for it. Okay, all right. I know. Oh, I could never let somebody touch my feet. That's never going to happen. But it's interesting that the continuous rubbing of the skin produces calluses by human nature. And so in the same way, continued rejection of the truth causes the heart to become spiritually calloused. And the calloused heart will get to the place where it will no longer hear the voice of God. The calloused heart will no longer respond to the call of God. A callus is really just a scar tissue. But that scar tissue becomes insensitive to feeling. And so when a heart becomes calloused, it loses its sensitivity to the Spirit of God. Think about that. Look at what happens next. Mark says that Jesus looked at them with anger. He grieved. He grieved. He's angry and he grieves at the hardness of their hearts. And he goes on to say, as he looked around them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, and he said to, them, said to the man, stretch out your hand. No, no, look what happens. Nothing else happens. Jesus just said one sentence. And what does the scripture say? He stretched it out, and his hand is completely restored. The man gets healed. Hear what I'm about to say. Legalism is not first a matter of theology. Legalism is not first a matter of biblical interpretation. Legalism is a condition of our hearts. It's rooted in self-righteousness. It's rooted in pride. And that pride and self-righteousness will always lead to the condemnation of other people. Legalism would rather you celebrate principle than meet the needs of people. Legalism, in its pride of self-righteousness, lacks mercy, it lacks grace, and it lacks compassion. 
And Jesus looks at these men with righteous anger and he says, you are the religious leaders of your day, but you get it all wrong. And rather than weep for the brokenness of the fall appearing on the hand of this man, you see it as a moment to advance your legalism. You know, Mark says that Jesus became angry and that that word comes from the word orge. And it, it comes with it, this connotation of uh, sort of like a description of like the sap rising in the tree. The, the idea that anger builds and builds until there's this release of pressure, this release of emotion. And I, you can't blame him because the longer that Jesus sat with these hard-hearted Pharisees, the angrier he became. And there's nothing wrong with anger as long as you're angry over the right things in the right amount and in the right way. Some righteous anger against sin and evil would serve the church well in these politically correct days. In these days, there are anything goes. What was it that made Jesus so angry? First, he's angry because their hearts are hard. They, they've continually refused to acknowledge the power and the presence of God, and he's offended. Second, he's angry because they have more concern for their man-made rules than they do for a man who needs help. We're told that he's distressed or, or grieved. This word means to feel pain or sorrow. So, their attitude, or their attitude towards their fellow man broke Jesus' heart and it made him angry. I'd venture to say that it still grieves God and makes God angry when people refuse to hear the truth and when people refuse to do what is right. And in spite of his anger at their hypocrisy, Jesus still had compassion on the man with this withered hand. You know, he didn't come to this world to get caught up in religious debates over keeping man-made rules. Jesus came to this world to extend compassion to those who need help. And this poor man could not solve his problem, but Jesus could. And he did. Now, before we distance ourselves from the Pharisees, let's have an admission can we admit that it's in all of us? Can I see your hands? Yeah, yeah. And the rest of you are liars. Just going to say it. All right? You know, if you're a parent here today, you know, it's easier for us to discipline our kids with the law rather than to rescue them with grace, is it not? It's easier. It's easier for us to have a judgment and condemning spirit towards our spouse than it is to look at them in their struggle with sin with compassion and grace and perseverance. It's easier for you and I to look down on a brother and sister in Christ who doesn't seem to be as far along the road of spirituality as we are. It's easier. And the truth is we tend to be very good defense attorneys when it comes to our own sin but very good judges when it comes to the sins of others. You can say amen or ouch on that one. See, the seeds of legalism are inside all of us. 
But let's go back to our text. Jesus knows what the Pharisees are up to. He knows that this whole thing is designed as a trap, but Jesus also knows that this, this man needs healing, and Jesus is determined to do the right thing regardless of the personal cost. So he tells the man to come to stand, stand before the whole crowd, and he, he wants everyone present to see the power of God at work. And as Jesus heals this man, what's the response of the Pharisees? And obviously, it's a dead giveaway. Mark writes, Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Well, this means nothing to you and I when we read this without studying the Scriptures. But it's loaded. We have to understand this, that when Jesus healed this man, they're outraged. They considered, the Pharisees considered this to be work. And in reality, right? I read the Scripture, in reality, what did he do? He stretched out his hand. <laughs> there was no work involved in this. There was no violation of the Mosaic law. But like in today's culture, truth doesn't matter, and it didn't matter to people like the Pharisees. All that mattered to them was their narrow interpretation of things. And so they left the meeting immediately. They sought out these Herodians. Now, the Herodians are interesting because they are secular Jews. They supported the government of Herod the king. That's who these guys were. They also believed that the Jews had a, a, a duty to submit to Roman rule. Now, here they are. They're secularists with little concern for religious matters. They liked the changes that the Romans brought about in Israel. But on the other hand, the Pharisees are the protectors of Judaism. So what we have are two bitter enemies, the Herodians and the Pharisees. They each stand for something diametrically opposed to one another. And it's shocking to see that the Pharisees are now going out of their way to get the help of these guys, the Herodians, in order to crush the ministry of Jesus so that both the Herodians and the Pharisees, who didn't like Jesus because they saw him as a threat to the peace, to the stability of the nation, but from different perspectives, obviously, but they find a common ground. The irony of this is crazy. They find a common ground in their hatred of Jesus. So they formed a plot to destroy him. Now think about what's going on here. The word destroy means to utterly to do away with a person or a thing. They wanted Jesus dead, dead. And they set out to accomplish it in the end. And this tells you everything you need to know about their hearts. There's a bit of irony in this story too, as well as a lot of hypocrisy, because these men, now think about it, they're upset about Jesus daring to heal a man on a Sabbath. Doesn't touch him. Doesn't do anything. The guy stretched out his arm. But they have no problem plotting murder that day. That is evidence of the hardness of their hearts. The callous around their hearts had caused them to become callous towards God and callous towards their fellow human beings. And that's a dangerous place to be. Mark then writes, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all that he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Edomia, and all the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. 
Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him. They cried out, You are the Son of God! But he gave him strict orders not to tell the others about him. We've seen the hard heart of the Pharisees, but now we see a glimpse of the heart of Jesus. But we also see the hopeful hearts of the people. Jesus had been officially rejected by the religious leader. However, there's this great multitude of people that see Jesus as the answers to their prayer. He's literally the fulfillment to their dreams and their hopes. The words out that Jesus, you know, uh, that he's got this awesome power and compassion and that he's healing people left, right, and center. And we find that there are broken people coming to him in droves, And we miss it when we're reading it. We don't see it, but can you imagine the scene as Jesus tries to get away along the shores of Galilee? He can't get away because of the crowds of the needy and broken and suffering people who are pressing in on him. I think if there was a video of this, this moment, I believe it would probably bring us to tears. Imagine them carrying the crippled and the diseased and the suffering Imagine the crying, imagine the wailing. Imagine that they're pushing themselves to get close to Jesus so much so that he's actually concerned of being swarmed. So what does he do? He gets the disciples to hire a boat so he can get away a little bit from shore. I find it interesting that while the Pharisees are seeking to destroy him, broken creation is running to him. And people saw what Jesus had done for others and they believed by faith that he could do the same for them. Their hearts had hope. They had hope-filled hearts and when the Pharisees looked at Jesus, they saw a rebel of some sort. They saw a man who was trying to overthrow their positions and take away their power. When the common person looked at Jesus, they saw a healer, they saw a savior, they saw the Messiah. The average person saw the promises, the plans of God being fulfilled in Jesus. And so they searched out Jesus, why? Because they wanted to experience his healing power. I think that's the most important aspect that sometimes in our culture we forget. We search out everything else, but we fail to search out Jesus. And these people are searching out Jesus from regions far and wide. They wanted his power to be unleashed in their lives. These people were looking for something that was life-changing. They saw that in the potential, in the person of Jesus. And Mark paints the pictures for all of us of Jesus as that great physician, as that great deliverer. And while the religious leaders are plotting to kill him, the average person was spreading the word about him. Everywhere across the nation of Israel, people are talking about this guy from Galilee. Even evil spirits were talking about Jesus. Mark makes it very clear. Jesus rebukes the demons for two reasons. First, Jesus refused to allow the devil to determine the movement and timing of his ministry. He's in control. 
Secondly, he didn't want to be identified with evil spirits. So here's the point. Uneducated common people, even demons, had more sense than the religious leaders of their day. The average person saw Jesus as one who offered them hope. And this whole passage gives us a glimpse of Jesus' heart. This is the scene that we also see Jesus' heart at work. A heart of love, a heart of passion, a heart of compassion. And Jesus' love for people channeled his passion into saving and rescuing them. And I think we get a glimpse of his heart being one full of compassion, one full of love, one full of concern. We see in this healing power and this healing compassion of Christ in this very moment, this is a declaration of who he is and what he, uh, and what he will do. He hasn't come just to minister to disembodied souls. He hasn't forgotten all that creation has fallen. He will make his blessings far as the curse is found. That's what he's doing. And Jesus begins to restore the aspect of his creation. He's bringing the kingdom. And people are responding. Some are. And to think that we see him performing a miracle while he's angry and in deep distress. He doesn't call down fire from heaven to wipe out his enemies as he could have easily done, but he looks around at them in anger and he says to the men with compassion, stretch out your hand. And as he did, he's miraculously restored. Again, I see this tie to Genesis. If you think about it, God created the world with the power of his spoken word. And here we are, the Son of God does it here as well. To everyone's amazement. Revolution, Revolution. that's a new book of the Bible. (laughs) Revelation says he will make all things new. That he is the great physician, that he is the deliverer, that he has healed so many that anyone who was in a desperate condition was finding their way to him. And, 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 It's a beautiful picture that one day there will be no more sickness. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more sorrow because this healer will complete his work. We know that. And again, even the demons recognized who he was. His power had been so clear that as he came into the presence of these demons, they fell down and they cried. You're the son of God, they would yell. And you you know the church is in trouble when demons have better theology than some pastors. That's exactly what's going on here. When Mark presents to us Jesus, the great discipler, he presents to us the Savior of the world. So what's our takeaway? First of all, you're probably thinking about lunch. Yeah, you're going to get to lunch early. You're welcome. You should maybe pray that I'm sick more often. but I'm in no hurry to kick you out. And if you, I need to say this, if you feel that you haven't signed up, we don't get, we got lots of food, we're ready for everyone. We just want you to stay, we want you to meet new people, that's really important. But there's something more important. And it begins with this question, how's your heart? 
How's your heart? You know, as believers, I think we ought to strive to maintain a tender heart towards God, but that's not always the way it is, is it? Do you actually hear the Spirit of God speaking to your soul? Well, what do you mean, Jerry? Well, are you reading the Scriptures? Is he speaking to your heart through the Scriptures? Or in his still, small voice? And in that still small voice, are you doing exactly what he asks you to do without hesitation or delay? I think sometimes what happens as believers is we get confronted with the gospel, we get confronted with the truth. And what happens when we refuse to listen, when we refuse to obey, we cause our hearts to become calloused just a little bit more. And I actually think it's a very dangerous place to be in. And when I notice that as I look into this passage and as I look into it as a mirror, I see it's easy for us to become like the Pharisees in our own thinking. So what do you see when you look at the person of Jesus? When you open the scriptures and you begin to read, when you come into a place like this and we begin to sing words of praise, when we begin to go to the crosses and we begin to pray, what do you see when you look at Jesus? And what does he see when he looks at us? Is he angry and distressed? Well, we can't talk about Jerry. That's like politically incorrect. Garbage. Do you see a poor guy who got himself crucified up on a cross? Do you see a guy with strange ideas who went around preaching love and doing good work? Hippie style. Do you see a savior? Do you see a deliverer? Do you see a healer? Do you actually see somebody who died for your sins and calls you by your name? to come to him for the help that you need. Do you see in Jesus the hope and the help of your soul? And I think if you can see and acknowledge that you have needs in your life today, that you are in the position to actually receive help from him. And if you can see that Jesus is ready and able to help you, you are just a prayer away from the very help that you need. The Pharisees couldn't see their own needs and so they received no help. They couldn't understand that Jesus was the Messiah and that 
that he could have changed their lives. If only they would have come to him. They actually had less sense than the demons themselves. That's not a place I want to be in. So what do you need in your life today? You obviously took the time to get out of bed. Good for you. I know for some of us that's really hard. But we did. For some of you, you brush your teeth. Awesome. I really appreciate that. I'm wearing a max, so. We took a shower. We decided what to wear. We decided that we were going to spend our crazy gas money on coming to hear some guy pontificate about Jesus. Or you're here for the free meal. I'm not sure which one it is, but being Manitobans, I'm sure it's probably the free meal. And for some of us, we do this religiously. Which tells me we're here for a reason. Now, all of us have different reasons. So I come back to the first question. What's going on in your heart? And what do you need in your life today? What do you need in your life today that only Jesus himself can fulfill? Do you need forgiveness? Do you need a fresh start? Do you need healing? Be it physically, emotionally. Do you need help in an area of your life? Maybe it's financially or something else. What do you need? Maybe today as you check your heart, maybe you're just headed for disaster. I don't know. Maybe you have a a little thought in your mind that says, you know, you're asking the question, do I want to live or die? Because I know there are people like that every Sunday. I hope that you would at this point respond, I want to live. Because at that point of admission, relief can come and your life can be radically transformed. Yeah, we can have our off days and sometimes bits of doubt and all that. I get all that, but we need to hang in there. And maybe I'm speaking to you this morning. You know, today is the tomorrow you were so worried about yesterday. Today is the tomorrow you were so worried about yesterday. In other words, you, you made it. So don't give up. Hang in there. Maybe you just need to keep fighting and, and be bold and the mighty force of the Holy Spirit will come to your aid and will sustain you through your life. But what do you need? Maybe you've been hurt by the religious people in your life. Get in line. We all have. But I don't dismiss it. I can't dismiss it because Jesus was choked with the Pharisees. But I can't say don't let a few religious hypocrites keep you from coming to Jesus at all. He loves you in spite of what a few foolish people do or say. So what's the Lord telling you today? Is he calling you to come to himself? 
And if so, I want to encourage you to come. I want to encourage you not to harden your heart. Is he calling you to repent of some sin and to turn back to Jesus? If so, then come and do that. Don't harden your heart. Is he calling you to be more like himself in your compassion towards the lost and towards the needy? If so, then do it. Don't don't harden your heart. But what's he calling you today? The worship team's going to lead us in a song that they've already sung, maybe two. We're in no rush. I don't want to end this early. I'm going to ask our prayer team to go back to the crosses. I wish I could go there. I just don't want to be near anybody. Sorry. So if you stand with me, prayer teams, make your way to the crosses. And something's been tugging at your heart. That something is the Holy Spirit of God. And if he's tugging at your heart, I want to encourage you to make your way and share. Maybe it's confession. Maybe it's healing. I don't know what your need is. But just simply share. And have somebody join you in prayer. Maybe you need a physical touch on your body. We have oil there. We see oil as a type of the Spirit. being faithful in James where he says you call the elders of the church to anoint you and make the sick person well there's something about confession there's something about being obedient to the call and the tug on on one's heart Pastor Lana can I have you on this side please thank you but let's sing this song which is really an invitation of the Holy Spirit to come into our lives And if you are feeling the grip on your heart, I'm just going to ask you to be obedient. And maybe you're going to walk up to somebody like Lana or Chima, and you're going to say, I don't know why I'm here. I just feel I've got to stand here. Let them pray over you. But allow God's Spirit to work. Go ahead. Take us away. Church, obey your life. 
lamp of flame, city bright, King and King, come is what we pray. We need a fresh wind, the fragrance of heaven, pour your spirit out, pour your spirit reference to Acts chapter 2, Pentecost Sunday, actually was celebrated last week. We're a bad Pentecostal church, I'm just saying. But last week was the celebration of Pentecost Sunday. Do you know what that was? That was the birth of the church. That's when Jesus said to the disciples, he goes, go and just wait and pray. This is what this song is talking about. Jesus was basically saying, you go, you wait, you pray, you get hungry, and I'm going to show up. And he does. Feast of Pentecost. He shows up. You have the upper room. You have this explosion. You have the wind, the blowing, the thunder. You have the balls of fire of what looked, appeared to be balls of fire on top of people. You had people speaking in unique languages and other tongues. You had other people going, look at what's going on. They're drunk. 
And then you have Peter getting up and preaching the word and 3,000 people get saved that very day. Why? Because something transforming is taking place. And we're so afraid to let the Spirit of God transform us. And we carry our hurts, we carry our shame, we carry our pride. And in spite of all that, he still loves us. So I'm going to ask you to sing the verse again. Because to me, there's something very important about singing with understanding. And understanding the context behind this song. And then when you get to the chorus, what we're asking, listen very carefully, when we sing together corporately, and what we're asking is that God does it again. Do you want to see the Spirit of God move again? Because that's what we're asking. Presence, pour your spirit out. 
God, we thank you for the gift of your presence, that you are with us, that you are present, and we draw near to you and you draw near to us. You hear our hearts. God, may we hear yours. When we are filled with fear, when grief threatens to overcome, you groan with us, you hold us. God, give us hope and give us joy and relief and celebrate with us. Through renewed sense of unity, we begin the week together. Father, I pray that you would grant us moments of peace. We thank you for the beauty of our differences as, we've been op- as we open ourselves to new people and new places. Pray that you would grant us empathy in our interactions, but also, God, bless the food that we are about to share. Bless our conversation and our interaction. Now, so sanctuary, in ancient time, the one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing, and those receiving the blessing did likewise. May God give you the strength to live in true hope and the strength to proclaim the gospel of God's love for people. Soul Sanctuary, may you also sit at the feet of the Savior, Jesus Christ, to know his presence, then to follow, to walk with him in the tension of joy and sadness, peace and destruction, prosperity and poverty. And may the presence of the Holy Spirit direct you and be your constant companion as you learn to love God, as you learn to love each other, but as we learn to love ourselves. Go from this place and walk in the blessing of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace, live the church, and have a good meal, and meet somebody new. Be blessed.